0: Hello, and welcome to The RevOps Spot, the show that goes deep into the world of revenue operations to deliver applied insight you can use to grow your business. I'm your host, Chris Bayliss, and I'm joined as ever by my co-host, Charles Broctor. Hi, Charles. Hi there. Hi. So in today's episode, we're going to talk about the marketing sales and service technology landscape and how to apply RevOps principles to getting the most efficient combination of technologies to power the growth of your business. We're going to talk about how you decide what your tech stack should be, the proliferation of software solutions that are out there in the market right now and the difficulty this introduces when trying to choose what's right for you. In fact, and Charles, I know you're going to talk about this in a second, the data suggests that there are often up to 165 pieces of technology and software that are part of that sort of business tech stack and potentially could touch the marketing sales and service operations. So really what we're going to try and help you do is navigate your way through that. Look at a process for auditing what you've got now, how to understand it and what it's doing, and ultimately how to engineer the best tech stack for your needs. So before we jump into some stats and uh, really an understanding of what that landscape looks like now and how it's moving, let's just start with the basics. You know, let's talk about what actually is a tech stack. And you know, a definition that I quite like, because it's reasonably broad and the tech stack is broad in the business and it has to be considered as such, is it's the collection of tools platforms, apps and pieces of software that the company uses to build its products, carry out its business operations and monitor its performance metrics. So for us, you know, that's a pretty broad remit and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's just the bits that are funded by marketing or sales or service teams. So Charles,
1: you know, talk to us about the landscape. How has it changed over the last 10 years? So if we look back, and um, I've been doing this for more years than I care to remember, but if we look back to sort of even just 2010, Chief MarTech Officer sort of famously draws these maps of the technology landscape, and he had about 150 different tools on the, on the original map he drew. Well, the same map today would have between eight and 9,000 tools on there so this is how complicated it's become if you want to do anything in terms of communicating with your customers there is a tool or normally multiple tools that are available to do that so it's not the easiest landscape to navigate and in most companies these tools have built up organically so as people have needed something they've added another tool and this means they end up with a a sort of marketing technology stack of lots and lots of different tools, which often overlap in their capability. And so it is key to sort of every now and then look at that, look at it from a RevOps point of view in terms of what is this this tech stack delivering to the business. And there are certain ways of actually doing that and refining that tech stack over time to uh, try and make it work more effectively. Typically, companies are changing up to 30% of that tech stack every couple of years. So it's subject of change all the time. It's difficult to navigate sometimes. And therefore, it needs this sort of strategic overview about what am I trying to achieve with this tech stack and how, how can I make it work more effectively?
0: I think that's so telling, isn't it? You know, you've got pretty much a third of the tech stack churning almost every year you know this huge number what's it 8, eight to 9000 pieces of technology potentially in there and you know the amount of time this takes to navigate through this to to kind of even support that churn rate and it just shows that despite the fact there's choice it's just not working for
1: people is it no no it, it often isn't working and it's a significant chunk of a cmo's budget again they're saying it's like 30% of a cmo's budget actually goes on technology in most companies. So this is a big lump of money that is being spent in order to talk to your customers. So it's not something that just sits there and you sort of hope it works. It needs managing carefully. It needs optimizing over time and it needs, you know, it needs checking to make sure it's actually delivering to the business against what the business objectives are. And it's not just sort of sitting there churning stuff out for the sake of it
0: and I, I think that's that's ultimately the nub of the problem isn't it that as you're changing these things you're not architecting a solution from a clean sheet of paper so you're introducing more variables all the time you're you know getting this this new tool which is either solving some big problem or some little problem and you've then got to make it play nice with everything else and I, I guess you know that's the definition of the stack right it's not lots of pieces of technology working in isolation it's
1: how these are actually connected together isn't it it's definitely how they're connected together how does the data flow through does the data flow through those systems and make sense when you when you start at one end and you get to the other end have you are you still playing with the same data is it the correct data Do your coding systems match up? You see that all the time where different lumps of technology use different coding systems, which basically means those codes get corrupted on the way through. And it's a bit like Chinese whispers. You start thinking, you know, this is a customer who looks like this. And by the time they've traveled all the way through the system, they look like something else completely different, which may be correct if you've collected the right set of data as it moves through the system, or it may be wrong. And you need to look carefully at how the different lumps of technology are integrated with each other and the paths through them to make sure everything's working as optimally as it could. Yeah. So let, let's talk
0: about those kind of methods of connection, methods of integration. I mean, there are kind of three games there really aren't there in terms of how we stitch these bits together Um what, what are your thoughts, yeah, Charles, in terms of what the best route is, or is it a, is it a blend? Yeah, first of all, what are those kind of different connections that we can have?
1: Well, again, every piece of technology you buy comes with a whole bunch of APIs which attach it to other pieces of technology. So obviously, all the very popular pieces of technologies claim that out of the box, they will attach themselves to other pieces of technology. So they all have these APIs. And again, that can that can give a sort of false sense of security in terms of, oh, well, I can just attach product A to project B and it'll work. Well, yes, it'll work out of a, after a fashion, but that will be the standard passing of one data from one system to another system. So obviously, if it's very typical fields like, I don't know, emails or addresses or or handles, then because they're consistent, across the landscape, they will probably pass okay. But there will be some elements that are specific to your to your company, to your product set. There will be some things that will need to pass from one system to another that you will have to architect. And it's very important that you consider those things when you're joining lumps of technology together. So there's the out-of-the-box APIs. Then there are pieces of software that are specifically out there in order to integrate other bits of software they're typically known as middleware that's the name of them. They're middleware they don't actually do anything but connect stuff together
0: so this is your zapiers and stuff right
1: yeah and how they can be very useful because within that middleware you can say right i will build my consistent data layer within this middleware layer and then everything else interacts with it and pulls the data that it needs out of that middleware layer but again it's not just something you go I'm gonna stick some middleware in and everything will work together then you have to architect it properly and you have to make sure that all the data works and all the data you don't just have a data field name there it needs to be populated so it's no good if you've got lots of data field names but none of them are populated so again you've got to you've got to attach everything properly you've got to make sure that the fields are being populated by the relevant the relevant piece of software in your stack and that that data is accurate up to date timely etc 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 and all this means sort of alignment we, we talk about alignment a lot in revops it's aligning your data your technology to your business goals to make sure that everything works effectively
0: i, I think that obviously is the point, you know, this this integration of sort of people's processes, data, technology. But you know, your point about native application, you know, native integrations rather not being necessarily all they've cracked up to be. I think it's something that we see time and again in the business where you've got a piece of technology that's you know had a bit of uh, analysis done before it's been brought into the business. Yes, it you know it integrates with X or Y that's great, you buy it, the sales team are saying all the right things, you get it in the business. And then it just doesn't actually do what you need it to do. Because whatever the way that the integration has been built doesn't accord with your view of the world or more importantly and probably more likely your process is the way you actually use the technology so you know that for me is something we see time and again that drives this sort of requirement for either totally bespoke integrations or the sort of middleware you know integration platform as a service call it what you will you know it means that you then have to start architecting your own connectors and that's got to be one of the things that's that's driving this 30% churn rate i guess is this sort of broken promises between what the website says when you look at a piece of technology
1: and what it actually does when it gets into your business do you think yeah and i mean it, it i mean obviously there are advantages in using in using the the connectors that come with pieces of software because then they're maintained over time uh, mm-hmm. Obviously, if you put in middleware, then pretty much you've got to maintain that. Again, it will come with some sort of tools associated with it. So you can you may have a a no code version of middleware that enables you to update fields and and move things around and and come up with field sets. And that can be quite handy because that means that that users can support themselves. But I mean, the other thing that does happen is people, you know, typically you know, say you you're on an AWS type um, format, you might be writing specific code to move stuff around. And then that all needs maintaining. And basically, you know, every time you change a lump of software, you've got to say, oh, now, does this integrate with all of my code as well? So again, this all needs planning to make sure that you've got the support systems in place. If you are one of these people who is swapping lumps of technology out to get better lumps of technology, you've then got to say, does it still work with, with my integration platform? Yeah, Am I still collecting the same bits of data? Are all those fields the same length as they were before? So you need this constant review, constant planning process, aligning back to your objectives. Am I actually doing something that aligns better with my objectives? It's de- delivering additional value. It's becoming more efficient. Or am I doing something that's taking me away from that just because it looks like a nice thing to do at the time and I want to add in this new channel because it exists? Do you know what I mean? So it is this thing about working through what you're doing and not just buying technology because it's the new, latest, shiny thing on the market.
0: Yeah, I I mean… You just see it so often, don't you? I mean, I I was reading something from Gartner the other day, which suggested, you know, to your point earlier, CMOs are spending 29% of their whole budget on marketing technology. But I think what was uh, slightly scarier was that only 33% of them felt that the MarTech they had effectively met their business needs. And, you know, it's driving this massive churn rate. And I think it's because there is this almost constant state of flux that exists. You know, there's a the next shiny thing coming into the market. There's the changing needs of the business. There's changing reporting needs coming down from the C-suite. Um, there are different go-to-market models. they sort of constantly almost, certainly in marketing, it's the, this the sort of go-to-market strategy and the channels that are available just seem to constantly evolve. And whilst, you know, there are some standard we're all doing a bit of digital, we're doing some social, you know, we're supporting potentially our above the line spend uh, with various campaigns. But, you know, the different formats that you get um, into, certainly in the digital world, once you just zoom a little bit deeper, um, you know, Google are bringing out new advertising formats all the time. Facebook are doing the same thing. There are new DSPs coming into the market, you know, new methods of, of kind of managing retargeting and data that, changing landscape around things like the migration to ga4 in analytics you know cookies disappearing on the horizon so it's just it's a it's a shifting sand underneath the business isn't it which the the tech stack has got to keep adapting and evolving to and it just seems that it isn't
1: yes and there are two huge other additional drivers that have occurred you know recently shall we say in the recent past obviously covid has had an enormous impact. You know, they're saying that the the uptake of of digital channels has accelerated fivefold because of COVID. It's moved on 10 years compared to what where everybody expected to be, which has put a lot of pressure uh particularly i mean on on retail businesses as well but they were sort of already moving in the in the digital direction with websites but particularly on b2b businesses who historically have depended more on one-to-one relationships with their customers you know where they could actually meet up with them at events and and talk through there's been a lot of pressure now to move all of that online and you know a lot of pressure to have self-serve for customers because they they don't necessarily want to talk to somebody they just want to get on with doing their their work so there's a lot of pressure to have this sort of really engaging digital infrastructure that your customers can work for themselves or work with you and all of this has put a lot of pressure on that tech stack, and on all the yeah. touch points, and has accelerated things. And, yeah, you know, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's made people panic, but it's made people buy a lot of stuff very, very quickly yeah. to try and support that. So that's one area. And the other area it's made that's massively changed over the last two years is the whole area of data and privacy. Mm-hmm. So you see it with Google saying, right, we're going to stop doing cookies. We're going to block all cookies. And that has put a lot, again, put a lot of pressure. So there are a whole group of people now in information security in the DPO office who are big players in the game when it comes to marketing. So not only have you got this tech stack you've got to deal with, but actually every time you change the tech stack, you've got to go and talk to your info security group and say, is this tech tax secure? Mm. Have I done enough to make it to make it secure from, from penetration? Oh, and I need to talk to the DPO office and say, have I got permission to collect this data? What of this data can I actually use? Can yeah. I share it with other people? Can I go and get data from other people? So there's a whole bunch of questions beyond the obvious marketing ones now that have a significant influence on how you build your tech stack. So though I'd go back to say as a business what are you trying to achieve what are your business objectives underneath that how does marketing actually feed into those business objectives and move you on underneath that is what is the tech stack what are the touch points you know that I need in there and what data do I need to collect and by the way within this tech stack have i got all the security things i need marketing don't pay for security software you know marketing don't necessarily pay for the for any software that, that the dpo use to make sure that you've got all the permissions they're not necessarily responsible for your cookie policy that sits on your website but these are all important aspects of the marketing technology stack they've all yep. got to be in place before that stack works properly
0: it's so true i mean we we've had uh, i would say more interaction with sort of dpo and infosec uh, in the last you know, eighteen months than probably we've ever had before. I mean, this year alone for one business, I've had to support them with the um, with filling in a three hundred plus question survey of, of really, really detailed technical data just to get some technology signed off into the organization now that's not a bad thing but it's certainly a new thing and and you're absolutely right it's driving stuff i think also your point on the cookie policy that that's something that again we we've had a a call from um a business saying i've had a legal letter you know we'll name of course absolutely no names but and as it turned out um what was happening was as all of these new bits of technology which all seemingly collect data as some way they all store data you know they weren't being added to the cookie consent banner you know it's a really simple thing not necessarily technically but just in terms of concept that as every time you add a new bit of tech and it's potentially placing a cookie is that integrated into your cookie consent technology you know is when they click no are no cookies being placed on the website it's a tiny thing but you know it's it's becoming more important than it ever has been
1: and probably rightly so so yeah um not wanting to you know make this sound more difficult than it is (laughs) this is something that needs managing this is something that needs managing constantly in the business what is my customer journey against my system how do all those touch points work What data am I collecting? Am I collecting it in the right way? What technology am I using? Are those technologies integrated in a way that makes sense? So this is the sort of fundamental of why do I need to look at my tech stack? Well, you need to look at it to keep it under control, to keep it managed. It's a a management scenario. And it now falls under the auspices of RevOps because RevOps look across the whole piece. Mm-hmm. They look at the marketing technology. They look at the sales technology. They look at the you know your onboarding process. They look at your customer success and they say, is this all working together? Does it make sense? How can I optimize it over time? So if I had sort of one message, it's get something in place, whether you want to call it RevOps or not, but somebody or some... Group of people in place who look at this, and this is their this is their job to actually make sure this is all working effectively. And every time you add in a piece of technology or take away a piece of technology, you're doing it for a good reason. It makes sense, and it gets you closer to your business objectives. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's such a good point, and and actually one that perhaps isn't made enough about RevOps, which is you know ultimately with RevOps, what we're trying to do is get everything talking together removing all the friction from the process and ultimately trying to generate more revenue more quickly by making the process better and you do that by transcending marketing sales and service and getting all those connecting bits working really nicely but but actually that technology ownership piece that, that kind of comes hand in hand with that has this huge additional benefit of making sure that you stay safe you stay secure you stay compliant and that all of these things work together to best effect in a way which is also efficient from a budget perspective. You know, we've got 29% of the total marketing budget going into technology. I think the other thing which, which I certainly see a lot, I know you do too, Charles, is we see of that 30% and all those bits of technology that are in the business, there's loads of overlap in there. You know, there's now there are so many bits of tech out there that claim to do so much. They're all starting to do bits of the same thing. So there's a, definitely a money-saving piece in here as well, if you can rationalize what you're doing and make it work better.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a bit like, you know, how many, how many TV streaming services does one person need? Do you know what I mean? So we all personally do it where we, where we overlap technology just in our home life. Well, that happens even more. In, in business. There are lots and lots of pieces of technology because every every technology producer is trying to always extend their product set. So I mean, you know, take typically Salesforce or or any of the other CRM tools that are out there, over the years they have bought up other tools and they've extended their capability yeah hubspot has extended its capability massively beyond where it started and again this may often means you've got pieces of technology that may well be talking to each other but are they talking to each other at the right point is one more efficient at a process than the other one yeah you, again where they overlap you've all, almost got to make a choice What you don't want is two pieces of technology trying to achieve the same thing because that is going to be inefficient. They'll do it slightly differently. The customer experience will be slightly different depending on which piece of technology they engage with. And what you want is consistency. What you Mm -hmm. want is your outward-looking customer experience to be consistent over the whole journey that that customer makes. So, again, it's about looking at these things We'll use this word over and over again. It's about aligning back to your marketing and sales objectives, which should align back to your business objectives. So anybody doing this should be well aware of what the business objectives are, because then they've got something to map against. And underlying that, obviously, is data. Underlying that is Analysis and measurement of that data. So, how do you know you're getting better at doing something? This is something we haven't touched on yet. But there's a whole chunk in most organisations of technology that is trying to gather data into one place. Yeah. So we've all heard of Snowflake. That seems to be the one at the moment that lots and lots of people sort of, if in doubt, buy Snowflake because it has all this capability. In in it, it has you know, artificial intelligence in it. It has the capability to have structured data, unstructured data in it. So it's become a very popular tool. But again, what's it being used for? The chances are, marketing were not involved in the selection of that piece of technology. It's seen as a highly technical data analytics tool. Mm-hmm. So your data analytics team chose that tool. But is it helping you? Are they collecting the right data? Are they analysing it in the right way? Are they turning it into dashboards that are useful to marketing, are useful to sales, are useful to customer success? So again, it's there's a lot around alignment, around data, around the tech stack. There are bits of the tech stack you are responsible for, bits of the tech stack you're not responsible for. But is it all working to make your business more efficient?
0: You touch on such a key point there because... What businesses, all businesses, I think, really want, and I think the bigger the business gets, the more this becomes a sort of organizational objective, is this sort of single source of truth for the data in the organization for for the decision making. And Snowflake's such an interesting example that you talk about that because, for me, yes, it's a great tool, um, but it's almost symptomatic of the problem that people are buying yet another piece of technology to try and fix the fact that the bits of technology they've already got aren't working so actually by you know you talked about codifying data at the start actually if you just architect the tech stack right in the first place you understand which source of information is going to give you that single source of truth usually your crm in our in in my opinion anyway um because that's where your customer data lives and customer truth should be the truth within the organization and you know if you just do that job right and rationalize and audit and implement your tech stack right you shouldn't need snowflake in all but you know some very complex use cases i mean do you agree or am i kind of being a bit idealistic there
1: well again it, it, you're not being idealistic because actually snowflake makes sense because you might want to join customer data with production data with with your accounting systems, in which case you probably need, you know, you're not necessarily going to feed all of that data up into your CRM platform. So, again, when we talk about one source of truth, yeah, there needs to be a master source of, you know, where potentially your data lake where everything goes. But also, ideally, you want your CRM system to be the source of truth for your customers. Mm -hmm. You know, all the data in there needs to be an accurate reflection of who your customers are and what they're doing. Now, if that then maps onto Snowflake for other reasons, I have no problem with that. But again, there are these pieces of technology being bought as that will solve the problem. But the data within a data lake is only as good as the sources of that data. So again, you need to make sure the sources, which are your CRM system, which are your sales system, which are your website are all actually producing accurate data which when fed through makes sense wherever you choose to keep that you're right that from a customer experience point of view you need that data within your crm system because it's your crm system that's doing a lot of the communication and then that will be joined up to other elements and all of them ideally should have accurate data accurate timely data
0: Yes and I think you're it, it's so so true, isn't it? Is that that old principle of sort of rubbish in rubbish out isn't it? You know We want a single source of truth, uh, all the data's in the same place that's great, but if the data itself is actually all rubbish because it's been inputted through imperfect processes and people with you know an imperfect understanding of what they should be doing, then yes it's all to naught anyway so uh, you know it, this this podcast is really. Focusing on the tech, but you know the the RevOps principle of systems thinking says that you can't just think about the tech, and you? you've got to think about who's using the systems and what you're asking them to do and how all that stitches together end to end.
1: Absolutely, and and there's a there's a key here in that how does it stitch to end to end? That will involve people because mm-hmm. people use technology. And one person in your organization isn't using the whole of your technology stack. So you've got not just technology interfaces, but you've got people and process interfaces. And you've got where the customers engage with that technology stack. So it isn't just a technology problem. It is a systems thinking problem. How does the whole of this actually do what I want it to do? What does good look like? How am I measuring it? So in 12 months' time, how do I know I've actually done better than I did in the last 12 months? And that obviously means tweaking the technology stack, but it also means talking to the people who are using that stack, making sure that the customer interfaces into that stack work properly, making sure I measure everything properly, and understanding that this is all delivering against business and marketing objectives.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah, it all starts with with objectives. And I think maybe that's quite a nice segue onto talking about, okay, well, I think we've hopefully, albeit perhaps in a slightly rambling fashion, we've got to the point of, well, what, what actually is the tech stack and why is it really important that you stitch it together? But, you know, when we talk about auditing a tech stack, I think it might be interesting just to talk through you know, when we have a project in the RevOps world, you know, how do you start that? You know, what does that sort of process of discovery look like and how do you go from we're in a position of 30% of the budget and 30% of the, system, the stuff is churning every, each and every year, more or less, that, you know, we've got all this confusion, we've got this um, lack of confidence i think you know thir- uh, what was the stat from the Gartner? i think 33 percent of uh, businesses thought only 33 percent of businesses that their tech stack was working for them in the right way i've also seen another stat i think it was in a Forrester report that we talked about on the last podcast that said that about i think it was half 47 ish percent of enterprises can't rely on the data in their crm as a single source of truth for understanding the customer so you've got all these problems so how do we get into it charles you know how how do you start fixing them
1: well as with all these things there has to be a a process that makes sense that everybody buys into so the the sort of things i do is is i mean typically you need to do some form of discovery to make sure that everybody's operating off the same set of assumptions off the same page so that's about actually saying okay we want to improve things everybody wants to improve things so what are we trying to improve now you might it might be that you have specific problems that you want to focus in on that the business are aware of or you might want a more general you know discovery and let's find out what the issues are and it's key that everybody understands that so you'd normally have a kickoff where you talk about okay what sort of channels am I looking at? What are the channels that are of key importance to my business that my customers are coming through? What are those channels? That's one element of that. What is the customer audience I'm looking to engage with? Is it a geographic audience? Is it a segment of the of the business community? Is it a customer segment? We, you know, who am I actually trying to engage with? Is it one audience or is it multiple audience? Am I all about acquisition, or am I about cross-sell and upsell and retention? Or is it all of those? So again, it's, it's key that we actually write all this stuff down so we know, you know the landscape that we're actually operating in. So
0: paint a picture here, though. So we're kind of we're starting this off, so fundamentally then we're, we're in the room, we're getting this, uh, we've got what, some key players from the kind of functional teams within there, and we're starting to map this out you know, on a wall, on a flip chart, on a piece of collaboration software?
1: Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, the first point is is almost to list stuff because you don't want to go into the detail from, from day one. So you get the relevant stakeholders in the room. Who are the relevant stakeholders? The, well, they're the people who run the business. So as high as you can get in the business – who sets the strategy for the business? That is key. You know, is that the CEO and is that the CFO, the CMO? So if you can get those people in the room, that's going to be helpful. And then there's a level below that who operationally run it. So they run the sales team, they run the marketing team, they run the the customer success team or the onboarding teams. So all of those people are key stakeholders. So it's like, okay, these are the channels I'm dealing with. This is the audience I'm trying to engage with. This is my departmental setup. This is how, I, how I'm structured. These are the key stakeholders. That effectively gives you the scope of your discovery. These are all the people you're going to need to talk to at a detailed level. So that sort of gives you a size of what you're dealing with. You know, if you're dealing with all the social channels, the website, the CRM system, an onboarding system – a customer success system, a customer support system, obviously that's, that's a lot of different channels to look at. But it's key that that is defined. If we are just saying, actually, just for the moment, we're really worried about marketing and sales, then it could be restricted to that. I've done for different organizations, sometimes they want it restricted, sometimes they want to look at the whole thing. So it's key to get that lined up first. And that's normally just like a meeting. That's a meeting, you know, a two or three hour meeting in a room with the relevant people and say, you know, just run through what is it I'm looking at here? What do you want me to look at? The next step, and we've talked about this before, is, is an objectives review. So what are you actually trying to achieve? So if this is the scope of it, what are your business goals? When somebody comes onto your website, what are you actually expecting them to do? How are you expecting them to engage? If they want to engage and they look like they're interested in your product, what is the goal of your business for each person who comes onto your website? Is it engagement? Is it for them to give you data? Is it for them to give you data and tell you they're interested in buying a product? I mean, you probably say actually it's all of these things, but again, they're sort of slightly different objectives, slightly different content required slightly different things you will measure so what are what are those business goals at the very highest level you want to sell stuff and make a profit but that you have to convert making stuff selling it and making a profit into something that says actually these are the people i'm talking to these are the ones who are likely to buy my product this is how much of it they're going to buy this is how long i intend to keep them on board buying that product this is the other stuff I could sell to them. These are all business goals. That turns into marketing objectives. And marketing objectives talk about audiences and getting content out there and getting people to engage with that content and bringing them on board as a lead. So that's, that's the sort of marketing objectives to drive demand, ultimately. So marketing then passed through to sales. What are the sales objectives? What are their, what, what's their rate of conversion? Now I'm not going to go through all of this because like, it sounds like I'm talking about the whole business structure, but I am. <laughs> yeah. and, and people will know what this is, but it needs to be written down so that everybody is trying to achieve the same set of business goals, the same marketing goals. They're looking at the same audiences. They know what their product is that they're selling. They know whether it's all about acquisition, cross sell, upsell or retention or which elements of their audience those apply to? And ultimately, how do I measure this? And when I talk about measurement, I talk about smart KPIs. So they're specific, they're measurable, they're achievable, they're realistic, and they're timed. Now again, that all sounds wishy-washy, but it means you say, so let's take a, a very typical marketing objective, and you say, I want to improve engagement with the content on my website. And everybody goes, yeah, it's a great objective. But that's not a fully formed objective. Because a fully formed objective would be, I want to improve engagement. And this is how I measure engagement. And currently, it sits at, and let's just make it up. I've got 5% engagement. Of all the people who come to my Website 5% of them actually engage with the content on that website currently. So, I want to move engagement, which I measure in this met by this methodology, from 5% to 7% in 50% of my customers over the next 12 months. That is then a measurable objective because you've said, Where do I start from? Where am I going to? And the only other thing is you've got to put onto that is go. By doing what? Now, you might not know what the what is when you set the objective, but that then becomes the question if I'm going to achieve that objective, what have I got to do to achieve it? Which leads you into the technology stack, because basically you've got to change things. You've got to move things around. You've got to either add content or take content away that's not moving. You've got to make sure your measurement is working. You've got to make sure you're collecting the right data to move people through that funnel. So it leads you directly, once you have that objective review, it then targets you at certain things you have to do. And the way that targets you is you take those objectives and you then look at what is my customer journey. And this is the whole mapping process where you get the relevant people in a room over a period of time and you use effectively an electronic whiteboard, and you say, what does my customer journey look like? How do people find out that I exist as a company? So normally that's advertising or social marketing. Again, in this day and age, nearly always underpinned by technology, but there is some way that you get your communications out there. Once your communications are out there, people raise their hands. If they raise their hands, how do you capture them? How do you capture that data? So, you've got to map that whole customer journey and work out those touch points, the content people are engaging with, the technical platform that supports that touch point, the data that is collected, the operation and processes that sit around that. Who's actually maintaining that particular touch point? What, what are they actually doing? Are they maintaining it in the, in the most efficient way? Are they engaging with the other parts of the operation around them to make sure that everything moves from one part of the, one touch point to another efficiently? How do I measure those interactions? What does good look like and are there any specific pain points and I mean this is always you, know, you talk about pain points or you talk about opportunities it's it's the same thing ultimately but, uh, there are normally obvious things that people have got on on their minds that they think that if they did this, it would work better.
0: Yeah. I think they're so interesting, aren't they, those meetings, those conversations where you're yeah. you're getting into this sort of, you know, opportunity and kind of pain point analysis, you know, it driving what what you know what we call the kind of opportunity impact assessment, which is how we start arriving at, okay, well, what do you change? But ultimately it sounds like it's going to be difficult but when you get the right people in the room ultimately most people are already thinking what the solution should be anyway you're just giving them a platform to air that and to implement it and and to sort of take them out the day-to-day of doing what they're doing and using the technology and stepping back and thinking okay well what would we do different if we were going to fix this problem and generally the answers are there they're not that difficult to arrive at are they
1: they are not difficult to arrive at and 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 it's Again, I've done this a lot of times, and it's a very eye-opening process. People within an organization are so embedded in their day-to-day process, and they have to be. We're all busy. So they're, they're tunnel-focused on getting through each day and getting things done in a way that makes sense to them. That's what people do. What they don't necessarily do is go, well, actually, if marketing did this, this could help me. Or if I pass this on to onboarding, that would help them and that would make their process more efficient because that's not what their job is about. And this is where RevOps comes in and starts to look at the whole piece as one system, as one ecosystem that has to work and be efficient. And it starts to look at it from that point of view and say, well, actually, if marketing do this, that will actually make sales job much easier. If sales do this, this will make onboarding easier. If onboarding do this, this will make customer success's job easier. And that's actually what we're all after. We want to make our jobs more efficient, easier, more rewarding, more successful. That's how a, a business improves. So by mapping out this whole journey, it becomes obvious quite quickly that there'll be certain gaps. There'll be certain things that people have thought, Blimey, you know, I'm, I'm generating all this content that I'm sending to people in emails, you know, and they're engaging with it, but I don't see that on the website. That is a very typical thing that occurs, that the salespeople are generating lots of content for themselves, but they're not feeding it back. It's not being edited and put in a and, and wrapped up onto the website in a way that makes sense and architecture on the website so that people can find it. That's a very typical issue. So that's a good example. And what it, what this does is you can map this journey. You can find all those um, opportunities. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to do all those opportunities, which is the point that, that Chris was just making. The next step is to look at those opportunities, those pain points, and do a review.
0: So I think, you know, there may be people at this point thinking – hey, I thought we were talking about analysing technology here. We're not really talking about technology. And, And that's the point, isn't it? You know, it's if you write down, here's all the bits of technology I've got in my business, what do they all do? You'll look at a range of features and benefits and you'll think, yeah, that's all quite useful. So you have to come at this from the perspective of objectives, from the perspective of process and the perspective of the people that are interacting with the technology and what they need it to do to move a customer from you know casual interest to repeat purchase and you know beyond so it it is about the people using the technology that's how you audit your tech stack isn't it you understand whether the tech stack is supporting what needs to be done. And probably in so doing, you also work out whether the things that you are doing are in themselves efficient and therefore whether the tech stack can improve the process and whether the process drives a
1: change in the tech stack. It, it's totally symbiotic, isn't it? Absolutely. So a good example here is you buy a piece of software that is really, really good at sending emails out. And it builds models around who responds to those emails. And it says, actually, here are the people who are responding to emails. I'll send more emails out to those people and cut down other people who aren't responding to those emails. Fantastic. So that piece of technology is self-managing and becomes more and more efficient over time. And your open rate goes up and your click-through rate goes up. But you look at it again and for some reason your sales aren't going up. Yeah. And – and. You look at it again and you go, ah, but that's because the content we're sending out actually doesn't map to my products and my objectives. We've built up all this content over time and we're sort of running our way through it and we send it out. You know, We've got a content map and we send all this stuff out. But actually, it doesn't matter how efficient the email process is and whether it can manage itself. If it's not sending the right content to the right people, Ultimately, it fails the business objective test. And this is why we look at it and we say, this isn't just about the technology. It's is the technology doing the right thing? Not even just how efficiently it's doing it. Is it doing the right thing? What is the right thing? And often, a technology stack is optimized over time, but it doesn't necessarily do. What the business needs it to do it's just doing a lot of stuff better but better from a uh, an efficiency point of view and not necessarily a business point of view
0: absolutely yeah. you hit on a particular favorite hobby horse of mine which is that in in the hubspot world at least don't send to unengaged contacts you know it's sort of a default setting in there it's been designed to help protect your domain reputation and to ultimately to in some ways deliver a greater degree of relevance And if you have a relatively traditional scale-based email marketing model, it makes loads of sense. However, if like almost every B2B organization that has a longer sales cycle and higher value purchases, you're following a sort of account-based marketing approach, then it bears absolutely no relevance whatsoever because there may be – if you have a target account – you want to speak to everyone in that target account and you really want to get under the skin of what it is that they're doing and you want to use that as a mechanism for optimizing your go to market strategy and your and your account strategy ultimately so if the technology decides it's just not going to send to anyone because they haven't opened anything for the last six emails okay you've still got the problem but the technology actually stops you solving the problem in trying to solve a another problem that's been pre-programmed in by someone that's not your business or your marketing team so you know it, it is such a good one that which is you know your technology has to start and end to some degree with your business objectives and your go-to-market strategy it has to be wholly supportive of that so you know to your point you've got to understand and map what is that customer life cycle looking like? What is my go-to-market process? What is my journey that I want people to follow? What bits of technology are facilitating each one of those points? What processes are we using to have the interaction between what we want to happen and what the technology does? So we need to map all of those out. And then, you know, once you see that on a piece of paper in inverted commas you see that on a screen you see that mapped out end to end and you have all the right people in the room very quickly you tend to see what's wrong with it you tend to see the points of friction you tend to see the points of overlap you tend to see the points of disconnect and I think this is particularly true of when you're looking at data and you put that lens of reporting over that and data sort of continuity for want of a better word you know is the information we're collecting at the start getting all the way to the end is that facilitating reporting which is allowing us to make better decisions which gets people from end to end faster Um, so it's get the right people in the room set the objectives map out where you are right now understand what those changes could be facilitate and um, analyze the impact of those changes both from a resource time financial standpoint and then start working out what the new uh, version looks like right
1: yeah that's that's it in a nutshell so once you've got this this journey and you've got the pain points sort of highlighted on there you can look at each of them and say okay how quickly could I fix this have I got the right resources how much is going to cost and quite quickly you'll sort of assess them and you'll put them into an order yeah it's saying the obvious, but anything that's cheap to do has high impact and, and doesn't take much resource or much retraining. Those are the top ones. You want to do those really, really, really quickly. And obviously you can build up a sort of a a list of all the things that you want to do and put them in a, an order that makes sense to the business. So there could be a, there could be something that is, is high impact and expensive, but actually so key To say a new product launch that you go, actually, I'm gonna override that and I'm gonna do that one anyway, because I desperately need to get that one done. Only the business can decide this. So again, this is not a technology scenario, but it, it drives what you want the technology to do, the changes you want to make. So again, it's key, the business involved, they help prioritize all of those things you want to do, and you end up mapping those back onto the journey. And you say, okay, here are the pain points or the opportunities we're going to take up. These are the things we're going to fix. These are the pieces of technology that we're going to fix them in. Actually, there's pieces of technology we can dump, you know, because they're not actually doing anything for us. That will save us money. There are pieces of technology where the overlap isn't quite right, and I'll change that interface. I'll change the way the data is moving through. And I will now adjust my reporting so I know that these things that I am doing are actually having the effect I expect them to have. And that way you can assess everything and you can map them onto your new journey and you go, right, now I have a vision for what I want to do. And out of that comes a very basic project plan, which says I can do this stuff in how many days. I can do this stuff in how many days. These are the resources. We all know how to do a project plan. But at the end of that At the end of the discovery, you get a project plan that tells you what you're going to do. You convert that into a delivery plan that says, I'm going to engage these teams, these resources. So typically, there is an IT element to this within your own organization. Typically, there is a, I've now got to specify out to my suppliers that I want changes done to their their technology. But at the same time, I've got to make sure I bring the people along. So there is a people and processes element, which you then may set up a different team for to say, right, I need to train people. I need to hire new people. I need to change the way these processes work. I need to change the measurement. You might need to engage your analytics team to say, I need to tweak the measurement to do this. So that out of that comes a delivery plan that says, I'm going to engage these people. I'm going to give them specific tasks. I'm going to get this done. And in 30 days' time, I'll expect this all to be done. In 60 days' time, I'll expect this. In 90 days' time, I'll expect this. And these are the differences that will be made. And some of the stuff will go on a wish list for six months' time or a year's time. Again, that will depend on that basic assessment done of each of the changes.
0: Yeah. And, you know, we, we've probably got to start wrapping this up. But I think you know that absolutely is the nuts and bolts of the auditing process. The one thing that I would just add is, and that's something we talked about in the last podcast, I think that revOps generally starts with a project, particularly when RevOps is new, but revOps shouldn't end with a project you know it's a It should be a function within the business, and you know talking back to your point about improving content engagement while well, that actually is just a very Um, I hesitate to use the word conventional because it doesn't happen enough but that is ultimately a test and learn process isn't it you have a hypothesis about how you're going to improve that engagement you go deliver on that you have a framework for measurement and you rinse and repeat until you get it right and that takes time so you've got to have an understanding of what the tech stack used to look like what it what's wrong with it what you're going to change, you've got to implement it, but then you've probably got to expect that some bits of what you decided to change had unintended side effects or just didn't work because you got it wrong, or actually present new opportunities. So there is this ongoing process of iteration and improvement. And if you commit to that as an organizational strategy, you will make more money, you know, you will improve revenue, you will improve customer experience because that's just what the objective is and you just can't fail to do it if you apply it the systematic
1: and measured way that ladders back to objectives.
0: Um anything to add on that one, Charles?
1: No, I mean literally to take that point at one step further, if you like. You know, so that two B customer journey is not the to be customer journey, then I stop. It's the the two B customer journey becomes the as is customer journey. And at regular intervals you go, Well, is there anything else in this that's not working? Yeah, it needs to be a living document that's constantly updated, where you constantly look at it and go, "Well, actually, yeah, I'll fix that." But as you say, there's an unintended effect over here that's changed the way I'm collecting data, for instance. So I now need slightly different analytics on that data because I've got some data that I collected historically and some data that I've just started collecting recently. What impact does that have? on on my dashboards do i know what impact it's going to have i don't want to mislead myself so again it should be a constant process once you've done it once it then becomes a constant process which is the one of the points of RevOps. RevOps then can manage that going forward and they can make sure everybody's aligned they can make sure the data is collected they can make sure the technology is working and they can generate more revenue
0: brilliant well let's leave it there thank you so much as ever charles really really interesting stuff um hopefully uh that was everyone that was listening found that interesting too and uh, look out for the next episode coming soon and uh, just probably as a reminder anyone that can um, follow subscribe and comment about the podcast that really really helps us so uh if anyone has enjoyed it or indeed not leave a comment and uh, we'll uh, be really interested to hear what you've got to say Thanks very much.
1: Thanks, everybody.